This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com. Welcome to another roundup of Neville Rides the Boundaries, and I'm Neville Wallace broadcasting from Hara and coming to you from Access Radio Taranaki, Coast Access Radio Waikanae, Radio Hawke's Bay, and Arrow Radio Masterton. With me today is Jim Hopkins, Taranaki King Country MP Barbara Kuringer, and Philip Duncan from weatherwatch.co.nz. The three waters have increased to five. Five waters, that is. With me to give us his opinion of the situation is Jim Hopkins from Omaru. Well, it's that time of the week when we go to Steampunk Village down at Omaru and catch up with Jim Hopkins. Good afternoon, Jim. Oh, good afternoon. Kia ora, kia ora, young Nevin. May I just say um, how thrilled I am at the news that your gorgeous wife, Shona, your bride, <laughs> will now be able to choose her own government. I'm quite well, assuming the uh, parliament votes to allow to let 16-year-olds have the vote. Because she's had her 16th birthday, hasn't she? I'm pretty sure she has. About three or four of them, I think. <laughs> Devil! Ah. You shouldn't say that. What? Ha- no, that's not that's not the Santa spirit, my boy. Oh, I put you over my knee and spank you. <laughs> oh, the joke real Jim Hopkins. Go for it, mate. <laughs> well, yeah, so what are we meant to be talking about other than Merry Christmas? Ho, ho, ho! What's what's? Oh, oh. Christmas presents. Christmas. Isn't the government giving us a lovely Christmas present? Declaring urgency on three waters. What do you think about that, Ned? Well, is it three waters, five waters, six waters, or is it the air that the water comes in? I'm, yeah. I'm at a loss. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm not only am I not at a loss. I'm actually, uh, um, I, we're, we're getting some visits from some Labour Party persons um, early in December. And quite frankly, I am going to actually seize them by the ears and berate them quite vigorously because, I mean, look, the brutal truth of the matter, the inescapable truth, as I read it, is that a key feature of this legislation that the government is passing under urgency is that ownership of water has now been decided on racial lines. And I draw that conclusion by looking at this... um, Decision by the Select Committee to include, which the government's endorsed, this decision to include Te Mana O Te Wai statements, the mana of the water, the, the character, the honour, the dignity of the water. Now, these statements apparently can only be issued by mana whenua, local iwi, but they can cover anything and everything. Use, quality, quantity, pricing, abstraction, you name it. And wait a minute, surprise, surprise, these four miraculous entities that are now going to give us cheaper, cleaner water, ha, ha, yeah, right, these four entities must give effect to these statements. In other words, they, that, the, the way the, the, word, well, the law is written, give effect to means make it happen. So basically what Nanaya Mahuta has done is give Maori an exclusive right to dictate anything and everything that they see that they choose to about water 
and impose that by way of a statement on these entities. And frankly, she, she justifies this by saying that, that, that the, the only reason that, or the reason that only iwi are allowed to do this is because Maori had a holistic view of water. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is arrogant, offensive, piffle. <laughs> Pardon me. I'm just quite, quite worked up. I mean, I'm serious. It's nonsense. What they're, say, what they're saying, basically, is, as I said before, they have a, this legislation essentially enshrines in law the fact that ownership of water through these Tamanoriti Y statements is now decided on racial lines. And this notion that Maori and only Maori have a holistic view, as I say, is utter bollocks. I mean, concern about water use and quality is a universal human issue. It is not one that is confined to one racial group. And frankly, as an old journo myself, who used to actually have to interview people like Rob Muldoon, I want to say, I'll just put on record through your program, which millions of people listen to. I just want to say that the people now working as journalists disgust me, because as far as I can make out, they have not and will not tackle this issue, and they will not challenge the government on a deliberate use of racial preferment. You know, I'm sorry, it's just... Wrong at so many levels. Well, oh, Nev, don't get me started. Well, you have got me started, haven't you? Yeah, I have, and I'll continue yeah. to get you going because right there's on. only been Heather to Plessy Allen and Mr. Hopkins, that are Hopkins, Hopkin. that have taken yeah. this government to task. And I heard Barry Soper say, I've heard no other media take this up, Heather. I know, and I know. I just sort of thought, well, I sent you a paper that somebody had uh, Grant Robinson doing an interview with Heather, and she yeah, had I heard him it. on I heard the it. And, and he, he didn't know what he was floundering. He was. But, but Robinson is a classic student. Let's, let's be honest about this. I used to be in uh, university. I... I don't think I ever actually used to write for the student newspapers. I never ever got involved in student politics as a student politician. I might have poked fun at them, but I never. <laughs> <laughs> but Brown Robertson is a student politician. He's a student politician who's basically just gone from university to being somebody's research assistant in Wellington or political advisor or parliamentary secretary, and all of a sudden he's minister of finance. And, and and every answer he gives is either flannel or carefully constructed so that you don't you can't actually work out what he's really saying. And I heard him being interviewed by Heather Duplessis Allen, and quite frankly, he either didn't know what he was talking about or he didn't want to admit that he knew what he was talking about. And my guess, in point of fact, is it was the latter. Yes, and these guys don't want to say, yeah. We're racist. Yeah. We're, pick, we're playing racial favourites. They don't say it, but the fact is they've just introduced under urgency a piece of legislation to Parliament that does exactly that. I'm banging the desk there. I'm banging the desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Anyway, oh, let me just say something. I was reading recently, um, Massey University's done a study, um, they've done this survey, 
and they've just released the results. And this may explain why journalists other than Heather, Heather Duplessy, Allen and Mike Hosking aren't actually challenging the government. This Worlds of Journalism study of journalists in Aotearoa, New Zealand, because apparently even a massive university of the country has changed its name, this study of journalists in Aotearoa, New Zealand, one of the questions they asked was, what, uh, you know, how do you identify yourself? You know, do you identify as um, uh, extreme left, hard left, left, mild left, or middle left? And they also gave options like uh, extreme right, hard right, right, mild right, or middle right, middle rightish. Now, but anyway, coming back to the extreme left, hard left, left, mild left, blah blah blah. Um, <laughs> Basically, somewhere between 83 and 85% of the journalists in the study identified, self-identified as extreme left, hard left, left, mild left, or middle leftish. And only 15% self-identified as extreme right, hard right, right, mild right, or middle right. And indeed... 5% said they were extreme left, and another 15% said they were hard left. So 20% of all the people you hear from every day on the wireless and see on the telly, or write in the newspapers, have described themselves in a survey as extreme left or hard left. No wonder they're not actually attacking the government. They're probably secret sympathisers. And a lot of them are still going to have their first uh, shave, a lot of the males anyway. A lot of what? The young men are still going to have their first shave. That's our own experience, they Well, are. that's true. But more than 60% are young women now. Yeah. And they all think Jacinda's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if, the... only we'd be, if only we'd been members of the Rob Muldoon Bank Club. Oh, I can He'd still be so. Prime Minister today. <laughs> now, Jim, there was the other thing of law and order that's on everybody's yes, yes, focus yes. on. What's your take on that? Because well, people I, have I, been trying to tell the government they want this stuff, yet the government's got paper ears. No, I agree with you. Look, things that struck me, you know, we keep on continually hearing, you know, the, the, uh, again, the woke folk keep on saying that prison doesn't work, it isn't a deterrent, you know, we must do away with it. And then I, I remember thinking about this um, in the days before they captured the guy who stabbed, who killed the dairy worker, the worker in the, in the dairy in Auckland. This guy was on the run. Well, if he wasn't worried about prison, if, he, if prison isn't a deterrent, if it doesn't work, um, if it doesn't deter people and people aren't afraid of punishment, why did he just give up and surrender straight away? You know, get things over with. Yeah. Tuck into, into nice prison food, chat to nice correction officers, get a bit of cultural awareness. The point is... <laughs> he was on the run because he didn't want to be caught because, in fact, we still have some measure of punishment and penalty for people who commit brutal crimes, but not enough, and, 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 and it doesn't affect enough people. You know the old adage, nature abhors a vacuum? Well, I think that might be true, but human beings, human nature loves a vacuum. 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 40-year-olds, they know there's a punishment vacuum. They know there's no penalties and no consequences, and they exploit it. They take advantage of it. 
bingo, you know, net result, no shop is safe. And people, you hear people on talkback saying, oh, what are their parents doing? Well, I suspect that in some cases it's quite possible they're actually encouraging them. And let, look, honestly, the painful fact of the matter is none of this will stop until we introduce effective penalties that, are, that actually deter these people from doing what they are doing now. If we want them to stop, we have to accept that there will be unpleasant ways of requiring them to do so. You know, you can't get, oh, we have to love and cuddle and be nice. You know, sorry. <laughs> We've been nice enough long enough. It's about time we got a bit tougher, I think. I think so, Jim. So, uh, well, that's a jolly good note. And I would say uh, a Merry Christmas to you down there. Well, indeed. For the end of the year. It's coming up faster than we think. And uh, yes. we'll have to call it a day. Well, I think so. I will say I wish you a very Merry Christmas, Ned. But I won't be buying anyone any presents or, or going anywhere because I don't want to have a big carbon footprint. Oh, <laughs> so, Christmas uh, Thank you, Jim Hopkins. And I'm going to say Santa's not allowed to travel this year because he'll, he'll emit too much CO2. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, here's Barbara Kuriger to give us an update on the week that was. Well, good morning, Barbara Kuriger. And Barbara, I understand that you're at the airport, so we've got to get this through this pretty quick. Yes, Neville, plane, don't wait. No. Uh, I am at the airport because I've um, been in urgency in the house and I've actually had a particularly uh, scary and exciting week. I was asked on Tuesday if I would be a temporary uh, presiding officer, assistant speaker during the urgency. And so urgency basically started at 9 o'clock on uh, Tuesday night and went through to about 4 o'clock Friday. And the interesting thing about Parliament is as soon as the House goes into urgency on Tuesday, the 22nd of November, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday are all Tuesday, the 22nd of November for House purposes until the House lifts and then you go back to the normal day of whatever it is. So here you are debating things on Thursday, uh, but it's still Tuesday, the 22nd in terms of the parliamentary clock. It's quite a... Uh, a funny thing to go through, but look, it was a fantastic experience. I haven't uh, done that role before. I was pretty honoured when uh, Speaker Adrian Rurifay approached me to see if I'd uh, help out as one of the other assistant speakers were unwell um, this week. And, uh, you know, it was a bit nerve-wracking, but I have to say the clerks and the people uh, in the Speaker's office and uh, those that run our Parliament are absolutely brilliant in terms of helping uh, with documentation, with the right wordings to close, you know, to close motions and all there's a certain way you have to say things and it's always just right there in front of you. They're absolutely fantastic. And I have to say I enjoyed it. Um, it's a really interesting position sitting in the big chair in the middle of the house being neutral because uh, normally you're sitting on one side of the house or the other screaming at the other side because that's kind of how parliament works. And sitting in that big chair and being a neutral person in the middle was really, really interesting. Um, and it sort of, you do also start to get to know 
more of the personalities of all of the MPs across the House, and you also get to know, um, you know, there's a few new MPs that have been sworn in in the last two or three months, uh, getting to understand who they are and what they're all about. It's actually been uh, a really, really good experience. So one of the things that uh, you and I talked about before we uh, started recording was the buffers with uh, foot and mouth disease that have been um, talked about this week. And um, if it you know, entered the country and all the, you know, the preparation for what would need to be done, if it actually ever made its way uh, through the borders, which I hope uh, it's, uh, it would never do, but um, we have to be prepared for it. Uh, look, I think farmers can do everything, but I'm still really worried about the amount of wild pigs and deer and goats um, that are currently running around the country. Uh, and so you can build borders between farms, but it's very difficult to try and uh, control where wild animals roam. And so I'm still a little bit worried about that. Um, the ministry tends to say they have that sort of really uh, quite well under control, but it's hard to imagine from a perspective of what I see when I'm driving around uh, how that could happen. And I'd be really worried about sort of mouth coming into the country because the so much worse than mycoplasma bovis from a New Zealand perspective. Bovis was awful from a farmer perspective, from a wellbeing perspective, uh, seeing all those cows killed, but uh, they were edible uh, and we didn't lose any advantage when it comes to our trade because all other countries are one habit. But when it comes to foot and mouth, we have to renegotiate our trade deals uh, and even if there are vaccines available, but it mutates just like COVID. So even if we got, you can't stock up on vaccines because you don't know what period you're going to be at the time that it might hit. But even if we went down that path, um, we'd still have to renegotiate trade deals because we'd no longer be putting out free. Hmm. Um, it would mean that we would be in a vaccinated state. So um, it's, all, uh, it's all pretty scary, actually. Um, but on the farmer front, uh, just a really positive note, uh, next week, uh, as the local MPs and field days, I'm going to be dealing with my boots on every day. Um, I just love it. It's going to be interesting having a summer field days. Um, unfortunately, due to uh, COVID restrictions earlier in the year, it just became too untenable to take the risk of putting it on in June. Um, Lewis, my husband's been there helping as a volunteer with the setup, and it takes eight weeks or more to set that place up to run a field day. It's a massive exercise. So I had to call it off earlier in the year, and uh, it's going to be on the 30th of November and December 1, 2 and 3. So new experience uh, for the time of the year, uh, but it will be the good old field days that we used to. Um, it's, uh, it's really a happy place for me, and uh, from raising, helping to raise the field day flag on the first day, uh, right to the end, uh, I'll be there and uh, I think one of my one of my big things is I often get to the end of it and I go, well, I just talked for three days and I've lost my voice and people go, what did, what did you buy? And I go, well, I didn't actually buy anything because the purpose of the exercise for me is networking, but I usually get my uh, hot dog. I can't go through a whole field day without actually having one hot dog. So, um Things funny, but that's my priority. But I'm really looking forward to the social um, and discussion aspects of what happens at field day. So uh, boots and all, as I say, you can So it's it's amazing. And you and uh, uh, Shona and all of your family have a, a really happy Christmas as with your husband. And now we'll talk again next year. 
We certainly will. And Merry Christmas to you, Barbara. Thanks for the year's contributions and to Lewis as well. And we look forward to 2023. And it's not everybody's weather at the moment, so let's catch up with Philip Duncan and see if the weather will be any good for the field days. Let's head to Auckland and learn more about our inclement weather. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Neville. Well, she's been a patch of up and down sort of weather. It's been thunder, it's been lightning and a lot of heavy rain. So what extent is this all over New Zealand, Philip? Well, you were really in a, um, what I would say is a very typical spring weather pattern, except for the fact that we're nearly in December. So that's, that's what makes it a little bit different. Um, it's, it is more unsettled than it usually is at this time of the year. This is, this is a little bit un, out of the ordinary from that point of view. But on the other point of view, this is actually normal spring weather. And I was just saying to someone um, in another radio interview before about how in the 1990s in Waikato, uh, we remember many Christmases that weren't overly flash. You know, we had uh, wind and rain and hail and squally southwesters blowing through and lots of indoor Christmases, yeah. whereas the last few years, in the same part of New Zealand, it's been in the 30-degree mark. And it just sort of explains that where we live in New Zealand, um, we're sort of just two big islands in the roaring 40s, or partially in the roaring 40s. Yeah. So our weather can be very, very changeable, and that's certainly what we've been seeing lately. Yes, now we're coming up to the longest day, the summer solstice, that's uh, what, 20 years, something of December, so what sort of weather is that going to bring before it comes, Philip? Yeah, well, normally by this time of the year, we're starting to get sort of the days obviously getting longer, and the solstice this year is on the 22nd of December. Um, once we get to that point, that's usually, usually when we're really at the most settled that we get. Uh, well, also at the beginning of, of the most settled that we get for the year. So that, that means that the spring pattern we've got right now can carry on uh, right through until we get to about uh, uh, the very start of January. And that's usually when it's, it does calm right down. But I always say that, you know, our location on Earth means that we sometimes don't have very long winters and we don't have very long summers. They can be quite short-lived. And that's due to the fact that, you know, we've, we've, we've got the Southern Ocean right there and no big land mass around us. So there's many, many reasons why we can end up being, um, uh, having these changeable conditions when we feel like it should be more settled or more whatever, more wintry in winter, more summer-like in summer. But a lot of our weather is like spring and autumn, a lot of westerly winds blowing and changeable conditions. Yes, I've noticed that you did one uh, YouTube presentation, but I was under pressure to do some other work. Uh, you were giving a, a global forecast, and I sort of started thinking then, we are an isolated nation, really, geographically, as far as weather would go, aren't we? Well, you've just said We that. are. I mean, the, the, I remember um, when Dan Corbett came to New Zealand, uh, one of the comments he made in an interview uh, was how... Uh, similar New Zealand and Japan are. We've got similar kind of weather um, where it can be snowing, you know, in winter and there can be heat waves in summer and you can sometimes get a, um, a tropical cyclone. So we, we do get that kind of weather um, pattern similar to Japan, but you know, New Zealand is a bit of a straggler out there. There aren't many countries on earth that have the weather conditions we have. Even England and the UK don't get the sort of extreme weather 
that we get in this country. We're, we're a lot more exposed, for the most part, to extreme weather in New Zealand. The difference is UK gets snow and some bigger frost maybe, but that's about it. We, we get a lot of violent weather from the Southern Ocean. That's a big driver of our, of our weather patterns. Now, some of those, that global one, and I think we experienced it, would that been about a month back, a lot of our weather was coming down from the tropics of all places. Yeah, that's right. And again, you know, we're, I always say New Zealand's like a traffic island, and one day we've got, you know, the wind, we're, we're sort of waving in the wind from the, from the tropics, and the next day we've got the stop sign up, and we're waving it in now from the, from the Southern Ocean. And, and that's why our weather does go all over the place, and it's why, um, you know, it's, it's hard to please everyone, because yeah. our mountains and ranges also do a, a good job at blocking the weather and, and enhancing it as well. So when we get the windy westerlies, that makes the hotter, windier weather, in the east and cloudier and wetter weather in the west and that's certainly what we've been experiencing over the last wee while. Aye, because all I was going to say which could conclude this by saying, yeah, well I'll ask you the weather over the rest of New Zealand and uh, what are the prospects for the field days? Well, I think field days hopefully won't be as bad as the weather we've been seeing right now, but we are still seeing the westerly winds dominating for that. So there could be a couple of showers around, but that's not going to scare uh, very many people off, I can't imagine. So the, I would say overall it's looking pretty good uh, for field days, um, bar those few showers. And then as we go into summer, I'm hoping that we'll start to see some bigger high-pressure zones coming in from Australia, which will push down these windy westerlies back down over the Southern Ocean a lot more than they already are at the moment. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks to Evie and Anne for putting the show together, and we'll be back next week. But let's go out with a classic, This Old House by Rosemary Clooney. This old house once knew his children. This old house once knew his wife. This old house was home and comfort as they fought the storms of life. This old house once rang with laughter. This old house heard many shouts. Now he trembles in the darkness when the lightning walks about. Ain't you gonna need this house no longer? Ain't you gonna need this house no more? Ain't got time to fix the shingles. Ain't got time to fix the floor. Ain't got time to oil the hinges nor to mend the window pane. Ain't gonna need this house no longer. He's getting ready to meet the saints. This old house is a-getting shaky, this old house is a-getting old. This old house lets in the rain, this old house lets in the cold. Oh, his knees are a-getting chilly, but he feels no fear of pain. Cause he sees an angel peeking through a broken window pane. Ain't you gonna need this house no longer, ain't you gonna need this house no more. Ain't got time to fix the shingles, ain't got time to fix the floor. Ain't got time to oil the hinges, no. Afraid of thunder, this old house is afraid of storms. This old house just groans and trembles when the night wind flings its arms. This old house is a getting feeble. This old house is a needing paint. Just like him, it's tuckered out, but he's a getting ready to meet the saints. Ain't gonna need this house no longer. Ain't gonna need this house no more. Ain't got time to fix the shingles. Ain't got time.
This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com.